Welcome again. Um, we've kind of moved on to our next message as we, as we would. Um, and, and this one, this message, uh, as we've been doing, is is whole life, whole Bible. And one of the things uh, we've been looking at is going through this whole book uh, from LICC. And it's a great book, and I encourage you to read it because it's a very short, punchy messages that can just give you a kind of framework to look at. Um, but our message today uh, is called Break Down, uh, Rebuild, Stand Up and Get Ready. Um, now, what I would normally say is that this is uh, from from the book itself. And it, and it is in a way, uh, we, we use this kind of book just to inspire and, and look at where God wants us to uh, pick up on, understand things of the Bible. And I would normally say at this point, we're following the series. It's yet another uh, episode, as it were, a message on whole life, whole Bible. But whilst this is the chapter uh, for the next message uh, in that helpful book in Jeremiah 1 that we're looking at, uh, I, I don't think it's the message that I believe needs to be preached today. Um, today, I think we need to understand something more of the principle behind uh, the verse in 2 Chronicles 7:14, and it says if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and i'll forgive their sin and will heal their land before we get into jeremiah 1 um this is kind of two the, the chronicles verse is really just looking at um how we're how we're going to humble ourselves how are we going to how are we going to shut out the things of the outside so that we can come and say whatever is happening and whatever our opinion of the outside of what's going on in the world? Um, as Christians, we need to acknowledge that we've, we, we need to dig in to God. It's not about only going to God when we're sorry. It's not about only going to God when we repent, but always seeking his face, always seeking humility. And that's kind of what I want to look at today. Jeremiah shows us a real moment in the history of God's people where not only is this a plea, but a very, but a warning to God's people about their fractured relationship with God. It also reflects the other part of the Chronicles verse that brings healing and forgiveness. So today we look at the spiritual, the physical, the mental deconstruction of God's people by God, but equally showing that the very same that very same power that very same act of deconstruction as it were uh, the same power and authority used to deconstruct is employed to reconstruct them and this is what i love about the message and actually as we go through we may take a uh, we may deviate for a while into jeremiah because just reading this i think we've got some real uh just just got showing me here some things that we might need to learn from jeremiah and, and just understanding who he is is just understand the history and the context is, is just so fascinating and, and interesting but what we also find is that god himself is broken down and raised up again in the form of jesus and then instead of throwing us into hell god's son is sacrificed for the sins of all people what i want us to understand and take away is this when i read the application teaching from the series we're following it spoke of how we must stand up and speak up to situations when God's laws are seemingly flouted by the world, uh, be it political or religious leaders, uh, or against economic exploitation or injustice. 
Whilst I do agree that there are principles to learn from the whole of the Bible about how we as Christians make sure we protect people who who are affected, who are affected by injustice, who are the weak in society in the world and who, who do need protection. I do acknowledge that the Bible talks about that. However, when, when I looked at this, my worry was, and this, this, I don't think this is intentional in any way, my worry was that it was drifting out of context. Jeremiah is, is about a man called to announce destruction on the nations of God by God, but more positively to rebuild the rebuilding of God's nations equally by God. And this, is, uh, this particular account is not of how we, as God's people, should stand up to the flouting, God, flouting of God's laws in the world. Uh, rather, it's an account of how God's people must look at themselves first. In how they flouted, how we flout God's law and how we, how they in the Bible, as we read it, uh, and as Christians today, uh, must reconcile ourselves to God through the seeking of forgiveness and ultimately restoration. The bigger theme, as we kind of started with, was that I hope today that we can get an understanding that we only stand in strength because we stand in God's power and not in our own. Let's get into the verse um, and we'll go through it. This is um, Jeremiah 1 verses uh, 9 to 16. Yes, 9 to 16. Um, we may have okay slightly wrong order anyway let, let's have a look at jeremiah uh today and it says this it said uh, then the lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me i've put my words in your mouth see today i point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow to build and to plant the Lord said to me, from the north, the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me. In burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Uh, when I, I read these verses, that, that actually, uh, when I was preparing for this, there was only a small part used in Jeremiah 1. But actually what we find um, when you read the whole of it is, is this sense that God uh, has has a plan and has a work to do? It seems on the face of it quite harsh uh, of, of what God is doing to his people, but actually um, it's necessary. 
It's required. And I think we as Christians <clears throat> struggle with this side of God. We struggle that God, uh, in his righteousness, does things uh, that we just don't agree with. At the time in Judah, uh, they'd kind of gone completely wayward. They'd gone uh, completely away from him. And so God brings this, this judgment to them and actually uh, through the prophet um, Jeremiah. And I think uh, for us, it's certainly from, from our church, we, we're going through and have, have been through a lot of that. Uh, currently having the, the kind of church, the building refurbished, but that on its own was never going to solve a problem in the sense of how we are as Christians. It was never going to uh, really get to the root of the problem. It, it, for, for a short time, it might feel like it's new, uh, but unless our hearts were matured, changed, growing in the Lord, uh, the building would have done nothing in the long term. And so I, I see this as a kind of, in partly looking back to where we've been and where our church has been and where it's heading to and where it's going, uh, in that God is intentionally and has intentionally kind of taken us down. He's, he's deconstructed us uh, in order that we may know his power and his grace, realise that he is in charge. And so rather than fight against it, we're called to let God do, let God be, let God carry out the task at hand. But Jeremiah is called to this unhappy task of announcing the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. And it was Jeremiah's uh, commission to lodge God's indictment against these people and proclaim the end of an era. Uh, and it had been a long time coming, but it finally came and the Lord was about to inflict on the remnant of his people, the ultimate covenant curse. Uh, I haven't, I have got the verse on here in Leviticus, but I have to go back because it's in the wrong order. I'll read it out. It's Leviticus 26, verses 31 to 33. Levit Leviticus 26, 31 to 33. And it says, uh, and this, this is what is believed to be a kind of uh, a, a covenant curse or similar to it. And it says, I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries, and I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. I myself will lay waste the land, so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. What I love about this verse, this these verses here in Leviticus 26, 31 to 33, in case you didn't get it, it is particularly the part that says about your their enemies, that their enemies who live there will be appalled. And this for me started coming together in the message that I, I believe God was showing me. And in, in from the outside, you know, we, we often, we're talking about as Christians trying to spread the gospel and trying to get the message out in the hope that people will be saved and brought to a knowledge of him, brought to a salvation. And yet at the same time, uh, our we can lose focus on how we are each meant to be to God and our relationship with him. And I think when, when people, even enemies, look at Christians in our behaviour that's not God-honouring, they know it's not God-honouring. Uh, and they are appalled by what we we are capable of because we are people ultimately we can do heinous terrible things 
But what this verse talks about is, is rather than I'll, I'll bring enemies to you and they will rule you and, and destroy you, actually that, that sense of the enemy will, the enemies will be appalled. And that says something to me about how we need to come back to this sense of humbling ourselves in front of God before any anything we do on the outside, before anything we go in and start uh, uh, preaching to the outside. And uh, and I want to say to you that actually this isn't finding perfection before we do anything, but it is about how we do not forget that we should not forget that we should always be seeking humility bowing the knee to God and finding out what he wants us to do. How we, do we correct things in our heart? How do we change things? Because when we speak to people outside, when we speak to non-believers, you know where it's coming from? It's coming from here. It's coming right from the heart. And if this isn't right, then our words can, can be non-God honoring. And that's what we need to be looking at all the time whilst doing these things, whilst sharing the gospel. We need to not run away with a self-righteousness. And so when we look at uh, this uh, story uh, as we begin this account uh, in Jeremiah, what God was going to do was undo all that he had done for them since the day he brought them out of Egypt. It would then seem that the end had come. It would seem like, well, this is it. This is the final thing. God's had enough of us. God is not going to do this anymore. He's not going to put up with us anymore. That Israel's stubborn and unconsecrated heart had sealed her final destiny. That that was it. We've, we've just gone too far. God's not going not gonna to redeem us anymore. That God's chosen people had been cast off. That all the ancient promises and covenants had come to nothing. But what we know is that God's people had been unfaithful and corrupted for a very long time. This was not the account of a, of a holy prophet, of a holy God who was speaking up of injustice by those who are non-believers. This isn't an account speaking of um, how, can, how can we go and correct those heathens? How can we correct those people that are not Christians and they should be living like us? This was a message to God's people who had wandered away. This is the context of Jeremiah. And I am a, a, an advocate for making sure we do not misappropriate, misapply scripture. Jeremiah is about God's people who wandered away from him. And Jeremiah being sent to bring warning and correction. It wasn't about non-believers being told off, being set, being told that uh, they are sinners. That's in the Bible, but this is not what this is. This is about believers, so-called followers of God at the time that had wandered away and were doing such horrible things in the name of God. It was about how far away God's people had drifted from their God. But never for me, has the verse in Matthew been made more clear than in the context of Jeremiah? I missed a verse out in Jeremiah, doesn't matter. Anyway, so Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention? 
to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Whilst there is no time uh, that the eyes of a Christian will ever be fully without the plank of hypocrisy, there is at least a call on Christians to first be seeking the righteousness of God, first in our own lives and the way we live. God showed Jeremiah that he was using the oncoming onslaught as a demonstration of God's power, but also his judgment on God's people. Whilst we try to adjust under this new life, this threat uh, of coronavirus, I want to use this opportunity just to cut through the noise a bit for us as Christians. <clears throat> Many people say or see the virus as some form of judgment on the world. Others might see it as a judgment on God's people. Others see it just in its practical nature. It came from an activity of eating something that should not, not have been done in the first place. And at the very least, we can all see the practical. So from one end, we can all see the practical uh, reality of it that has caused the virus to break out. And then on the other end, the extreme is that it's all of the above. It is the practical. It's also the judgment. It's also all those things. <clears throat> but whatever you feel about it, how and when and why it happened, let me cut through some noise here, not, not for non-believers, but for Christians. None of us know the ultimate will of God in these things. What we know is that we have free will to bring destruction on ourselves and that God allows for it. If you're not sure about that, you may not have been listening to the first part of this sermon or even read the first chapter of Jeremiah. And if you haven't, read at least the first chapter of Jeremiah. This was as a, as a result of God's people behaving in a certain way. And so judgment is brought. God warned them as he does today. He warns us that if we as Christians do this, there are repercussions in how we behave. In, in what we do in his name. We also know that God is all-powerful and can bring judgment on people as he determines. So what should flow from that, irrespective of which way and reasons for why it happened, is, is not to find some self-righteous perspective that we can, we can beat non-believers over the head with. Because this isn't that comfortable. Isn't that comfortable to sit there and say, ah, this is because of all the non-believers, it's all them. This is God's judgment on them. Well, you know what? You don't know and I don't know. And I know that you don't know and I know that I don't know. Because God's will is, is God's will. And we're called to align ourselves with it. Not that we decide on his will for him. And so, for Christians, it's to seek reconciliation to God. Irrespective of our opinions of what might be happening... We can't lose the focus on the fact that we need to be focusing on humbling ourselves all the time to God. 
We need to seek reconciliation. The answer is not to, to assume that everyone is at fault or everyone else is at fault. It's not to find scripture and, and bits here and there. Although it's interesting and it's great to dig into scripture and see how maybe these things sort of look at the end times and when you know Jesus will return. And that's all good for our knowledge of God and to understand it. But let's not get lost in those things that we want to fit scripture in situations and we just suddenly start then to lose focus on what we should be doing, which is coming back to God as Christians and saying, Lord, we just need to, I, I want to be humbled by your power and your, your, your awesomeness. We can't discharge ourselves of all responsibility under the banner of Christian. That's not what being a Christian is about, in my view, and it certainly isn't um, what it's for. For Christians, I believe the answer is humility and prayer and to seek God's face. It's not to allow the stubbornness of denial to rise up within us and say, what have I got to be sorry about? I'm a Christian, I go to church, I pray to God. Because the answer to that question, from God's point of view and from the Bible, from what God says, if you trust in the word, is that if you ask that question, what have I got to be sorry for? The answer is everything. Everything. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's why he had to die for all sins. Let's look at this verse here. Mark 2 verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The question that we're posed, I think, for us today is which one are we? Are we the healthy and the righteous or the sick and a sinner? In my heart, and I hope for you, you choose the latter. Because if we're not under the constant realisation that we are in need of healing and forgiveness, then I fear that we are living in a delusion. A delusion that tells us everyone else is the problem. I dealt with my problems. I'm a Christian. I came to God. It must be everyone else. It's all those heathens. It's all those sinners that are the problem. And there is no doubt that I have moments or times when I do feel righteous. But that is the battle that wages in the spiritual realm every day. As a Christian who acknowledges the former, that until the Lord returns, I want my flesh and my mind and my heart to know that I am sick and in need of a supernatural miracle working healer. That you're going to have to tell yourself every day. And as I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through this message, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know that I always know that. I don't know that my, I'm always of the perception that I, that I do actually allow my flesh to trick me into thinking that I don't need God today. I'm all right. Life is good. But we need to be telling our flesh that it's in need of a healer, a miracle worker. Jeremiah was placed into the lion's den of Judah. He was put there to stand 
in the face of the people of Judah. And God told him to stand strong, as God is strong. To stand up against rulers and authorities, not to stand up against the rulers and authorities of the world, but against the people that had fallen away from the worship of the one true God. In order that they may fall to their knees and be reconciled. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah sensed the grief of the oncoming destruction, not just in his own grief, but sensing God's grief. Jeremiah also stands in front of a fallen people and senses the enormity of their fear. So as Christians, we should get this sense again of the call to humility in the grief that God feels in seeing us go against him. In seeing us misrepresent who he is. It's no surprise to God that non-believers live as they live. The warnings are out there. The message is there. Either you are not a believer and you are against God and that's your destination that you've chosen. Or you've chosen God and your destination is with him. But it's no surprise to him either way. If we're not for him then we are against him. But we as Christians must be ready to ask God to give us a heart of repentance. And this is something I've learned over this week. Uh, that we talk about repentance a lot. And, it's, and I don't think we fully explain what that means. It, it's very difficult to convey certainly to non-believers or to people that are even intrigued by repentance. And what does that mean? And we say, well, it, it's being genuinely sorry. It's being... Uh, uh, you want to change things to complete turnaround in your life. You want to not go down that route anymore and change and, and turn back to God. But I was reading on this subject of repentance. I thought, well, where does it come from? I thought, well, it comes from God. There is, there is really only one way to have or to gain a heart of repentance. And that is really to ask God to prepare your heart to repent. Even as, as a non-Christian, you can do this. You can ask and say, Lord, God, if you're there, you might say that sort of thing and say, what is, what is repentance? I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. So can you show me? As Christians, we should be doing this, I think, in as much as we can, when we, when we, certainly not just when we recognise that we've done something sinful, but checking with God, Lord, is, is my heart no longer seeking a heart of repentance? Have I been distracted by the things of the world? And so if you're struggling to repent, it is not for you to generate falsely. But it is something that you, we're going to need to dig into. It is something that we're going to have to find and ask God for. It is for us to seek God and ask him for the heart of repentance. We cannot overcome in our own strength. So we ask the creator God for the means by which he can overcome our flesh. And so that we can proceed into the act of genuine repentance. And it's, and it's, it's just genuinely difficult to convey that moment where you realised I, I need to repent. I need to say sorry, I need to turn my life around. But actually, for many people, including myself, that's a struggle sometimes. 
Because our flesh doesn't want to be sorry. It doesn't want to acknowledge the sin of the heart. So it tries to convince us that we've been pretty good this week. As if some sort of performance measure. And, and, I, and, I, and I fall under that occasionally. I fall under that perception of performance. As if God is measuring my performance in that regard. And I only come to him when performance has failed. When today, this week, like some sort of athlete where I, I, I've not hit the time. I've not hit my stride this week. That is true to some degree, but we shouldn't be doing it as if it's only about performance. This is about right in the heart of what we should be dealing with. What are the things that are even driving me into that place in the first place that I think everything is, is good this week? Everything is fine. I don't need, don't need a doctor. Don't need a supernatural healer. Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 to 31 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. As Christians, what we should know is that there is always a need to repent. And, I, and, and what I'm not saying here is that we're stuck in this endless cycle of repentance. But actually, repentance should be part of who we are as Christians, that we should recognise that we constantly need God to sharpen us, to mature us, to grow us into the person, into the Christian and life that he wants for us. So if you know today that you need, to, you need to turn your life around again. That you need to face God again. You need to turn away from a path that you might be going down. As is so easy when we're just so locked away in our homes and places, wherever we are. So if you find it difficult, do not be anxious when it doesn't come to you. Don't think that Christians have it absolutely nailed if you're a non-Christian. Don't think we have it sorted and we go, you know what, I know... I repent today, uh, it's just like a light switch. It just doesn't work that way. Instead, pray to receive the power of repentance. Because the flesh will say, I shouldn't have to say sorry for anything. So rather than try to battle in your strength, ask God to give you, give us a heart of repentance. So that we are able to come to him and know this heart of repentance. Jeremiah basically tells them, as we, we look back into the, the verses here, he tells them to trust in God, their great protector, to not continue in their ways because this is what is coming. God's judgment of his people and nations, though terrible, was not to be the last word. The final work of God in history wasn't going to be the end. Mercy and covenant faithfulness would triumph over wrath. Beyond the judgment will come restoration and renewal. Hence why this spoke to me today in terms of what we're doing here at our church. This restoration, but also renewal. Some things restored, some things renewed. Israel would be restored. The nations that crushed 
Israel would be crushed and the old covenants with Israel, David and the Levites would be honoured. God would make a new covenant with his people in which he would write this, his law on their hearts and so consecrate them to his service. Hebrews 8 verse uh, 8 to 12 says this, uh, but God found fault with the people and said, These, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach uh, their great their, their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Instead of plucking us up like we deserved, he placed his own son on the cross. Instead of breaking down our pitiful defences and excuses, he sent his own son to have his body broken in our place. Instead of destroying us, he crushed his own son under his unbearable wrath. Instead of overthrowing our rebellion and tossing us into hell, he tossed his own son to the walls of evil where he was crucified. God the Son was plucked up, broken down, overthrown and destroyed so that he could make us new. To have that means we have to be ready to bear all to God. To always seek humility, to pray, to seek the Lord our God. There is no other way. It cannot be done through piety, self-righteousness or just for everyone else to see. And this is why I was talking about at the start of our service today. Is that as Christians we need to be careful that... We are being tempted all the time and it, the temptation is not always obvious. But I feel in more recent times that we, we have been tempted as Christians to start sharing our opinion through, the, through social media means. Uh, and that can be a great tool for evangelism, but it can also be a tool that uh, makes us think that we're being righteous under God. And if you just take the concept of Facebook and Twitter... Most of the time its concept is that people that will follow you, like you, be your friend, are likely people that will agree with you. And so it's quite easy to put on an opinion as Christians and things that we think about the world. And for hundreds of people, hundreds of friends, hundreds of whatever you want to call them, liking, following, whatever, uh, our opinion. And what that does is that it gives us this false sense of piety. It builds within us this sense that we are right and we're doing God's work. When actually, my fear is that we're being opinionated. And what we're doing is we're succumbing to really what the enemy wants us to do, which is to, put, to, to send division amongst us. There is no doubt that we do have to fight for people who do not have a voice. We do need to fight for people that do not have a way to... Uh, defend themselves 
in part that is what Jesus did. He always was there for people who were the, the worst in society by societal standards. But let's not allow that or fool us into thinking that somehow that's a righteousness that we're following. Because I think we're falling into the trap sometimes of believing that our righteousness is God's righteousness. And so, in particular, before we certainly post something on Twitter or Facebook, I do just, even if we're about to say things, not even just on social media, but I do urge us to take a beat, take a minute, take a second, capture every thought and hold it captive. What does God want to say today? What does God want to say through you as if he was speaking through you, the Bible says? How do we honour God rightly? There is no doubt that when we honour God, it is also things that people don't agree with. I absolutely agree with that. But let's not let that be some kind of thing that tricks us into thinking that our own opinion is of worth when actually it's all about God. Jeremiah ultimately was called to bring a reunification, to reunify, reignite the love of God amongst God's people. In doing so, it would show the ultimate promise was on its way, a promise to seal all promises. That those who would look on and see God's people would no longer be appalled by the disrespect they show for their own God, but in the hope that one day that those that look on would see a unified people and show truly the salvation that God wants all people to have. It's very difficult normally, well, all the time, to bring a message and that speaks of challenge, and I hope it challenged in the right way, but also without trying to divide us, because in, in expressing things for a sermon, this is the reality of the situation, my own, as with anyone, my own opinion will get in there. And you can agree or disagree with what I've said today. What you can't disagree with though, and if you do, then uh, I just ask you to confirm with God. What you can't disagree with is that God wants us to be a people that are to go out, share the gospel, in the hope that people will come to him before Jesus returns. That is our mission, pure and simple. To disciple, to grow, to bring about a community of God's people, however big or small that is, to worship God, to serve him, to live for him, and to be and show the reality of living as a Christian in this broken world, in broken bodies. So the one thing that we cannot dispute is that we must bow the knee. We must come and pray to God and say, Lord, lift away from me my sense of self-righteousness. And Lord, just as we go into praying now, Lord, I just want to lift this message to you. And Lord, will you do whatever you need to do in where my opinion has been just a self-opinion, a self-righteousness Lift that from people who are listening and people who see this message uh, that, Lord, um, we're all imperfect. 
And so, Lord, we, we, we try to do the best we can to convey, tr uh, uh, convey a, a, and explain your word. Uh, and Lord, we just we just want to ask now together that, um, Lord, you give us a sense of humility, that you give us a heart that's always ready to repent, not because we've just done one thing or a thing we've been caught in, but actually that just that we're ready to be humble, to receive the humility. Lord, make us humble. Make us humble under the power and awesomeness of our Lord and Saviour. May we know just the, the sense of your presence. That whilst, yes, we should feel like worms, but actually, Lord, redeemed worms, redeemed in your power through the cross, through Jesus Christ, and those little imperfect worms going out to spread the gospel and share the message of hope. Lord, we just want to lift you today, how awesome you are, how great you are. Lord, and we just come and worship you again one last time together. We thank you, Lord. Amen.